In 2009, a few roommates from the University of Texas A&M got together and they started doing these crazy trick shots in their backyard. They, they put it on this new and upcoming website called YouTube, and little did they know that they would catch the attention of the world overnight. By making it on six or seven newscasts and even on Sports Center, in fact, these roommates would literally go from students on a campus of Texas NM to internet moguls in a short period of time. Now, some of you know this already. You know what I'm talking about. You know that I'm talking about the legends of Dude Perfect. We're going to put a picture of them up on the screen here this morning. But if you've got young kids at home, if you've got teenagers, you know who Dude Perfect is. These guys are incredible. They do things that are so entertaining. In fact, I really, really like what these guys do. They're believers in Jesus Christ, and what they do are clean things, and um, they, they, they have this huge audience on YouTube. In fact, there are uh, 56 million subscribers on their channel. There are videos that they post. There are um, 13 billion uh, times they have been watched. In fact, if you haven't seen Dude Perfect before, you need to go check them out after the, the service here today. But this week, I came across a video of theirs, got me thinking. This video is called Bucket List Desert. And what these guys did is they flew to the country of Qatar, a, an Arabian peninsula in the Middle East, they do all of these things that are on their bucket list, and they try to accomplish these things, as many of these things as they can while they're there. You say, well, what is a bucket list? It's this idea that became popular a number of years back when there was a movie that came out about it. But a bucket list is a list of things, different things that you can do, cool experiences that you can have before you kick the bucket that, that before you pass away and leave this world, these are some things that you want to participate in. And so uh, these five guys from Dude Perfect, they, they are internet moguls. Um, they have all of this fame. People that you would say, man, when I grow up, I want to be like them. These guys go to Qatar and they do all of these crazy cool experiences. And as I'm watching this video, I... I I, I was thinking a little bit about my own bucket list. Now, I, I, I don't know if you have a bucket list. I don't actually have a physical bucket list, but there are some things that I would like to uh, do before I die. The problem is, is that some of those things are so far past um, what, where, what I'm capable of doing. It's just impossible for me to do those bucket list items. You say, well, what do you mean? I mean, there are some physical capabilities and some age disabilities that I have at this point in my life that just make it not possible for me to do what I once wanted to do. For instance, 
All throughout my junior high and high school years, I thought that it would be great to be in a band and uh, be world famous. We'd travel around and play at all of these large uh, concert venues in front of millions and millions of people. In fact, I had a, a few friends who played different, different instruments and we would get together from time to time and we would have these grand plans that we would make together. And what's funny is, is that I, I've never been able to play a musical instrument and when, when people hear me sing, they want to take the microphone right away from me. Listen, that, that bucket list dream of being in a band and traveling around the world, that's just not even remotely possible for me. Uh, in this point in my life anymore. Another bucket list item that I had was that I was convinced, and don't tell me otherwise, I was convinced that I was going to play basketball for the Cleveland Cavaliers and we were going to win an NBA championship. Look, um, I would even go out and practice like three, four, five hours a day in order to get better so that I could make it to the NBA and make this dream come true. But guess what? That dream of playing basketball for my uh, Cleveland Cavaliers and winning the NBA championship at this stage in my life and the lack of ability that I have, it's just not going to happen. And so I decided to become a pastor instead and you guys got stuck with me. But there are some things on my bucket list that I just can't do anymore. And I would bet that the same thing is true for some of you, that there are some things that you would have, have like to do in your life, but now, like it or not, those things are just not possible for you to do anymore. Over the last several months, we have been in a study in the New Testament book of James and we, we, if you're new around here, those messages are up on our, our website, our church website. You can go and check it out, listen to them, watch them there. But today we are coming to the very last verse of chapter 4. And what James is about to talk to us is kind of what we've been talking about here. He's talking about things that we should be doing, but that we are not doing. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to join me there, James chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at just one verse here today. I know that sometimes when we gather together, we look at a larger portion of Scripture, 10, 15, 20, even more verses than that, but uh, today we're just going to focus in on one verse of Scripture, James chapter 4 and verse 17. We're going to put this verse up on the screen as well. But here's what it, what it says. I want you to follow along as I read it. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Friends, I love just how clear this verse is. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to know all the nuances of the Greek language in order to understand what this verse is saying. All of us can read this verse up here and know what it means. And I love just how practical and clear these words are. In fact, I hope that as we look at these 18 words that you can uh, think about what this means to your life very practically. Not just think about it, but actually how to apply it to your life today. James is so practical here. Let me read it again. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is 
sin. That word sin is an interesting word. It's a word that we see all over the Bible. We, we may not like that word in 2023, but it's a word that we can't get away from as we re- read the redemptive story in the Bible. In fact, from the Garden of Eden until today, we deal with sin, and sin is what separates us from God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you already know this, but we're all born into sin, right? In fact, sin is what's wrong with the world. All of the brokenness, all of the hurt, all of the pain, the things wrong with this world is a result of sin. It's why there is sickness. It's why there's disease. That's why there is war and hatred and people fighting with each other. It's why work is hard. It's why there's weeds in your garden. I was thinking about that this week because there are these little trees that are growing up between uh, our fence and our neighbor's uh, yard. And uh, they're, they're, they're starting to get kind of tall and they're getting entangled into the fence and they're starting to even break the fence apart a little bit. And so I, I was trying to cut these things down and get rid of them. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, it's a result of sin. It's part of the fall. And I hate this which is probably a whole other sermon. But, but here's the deal. Most of us would define sin this way, that it is doing what is wrong. It's doing something that is wrong. That's sin. Well, what James does here is, is kind of fascinating. He says, yes, sin is doing what it's wrong. What, what's wrong? Doing something that is against what God has said. But you can uh, also sin by not doing what is right. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I want to jump into the verse by talking about the fact that all sin can be boiled down into two separate categories. That you, you can take every sin that has been committed and you can put it into one of two boxes. In fact, I actually brought a couple of boxes with me here this morning. And um, just to kind of give us a little bit of a visual aid here. So this first box, and we're going to put a definition of this up on the screen as well. But you can maybe see it there. Sin is sins of commission. That's what it says here. Sins of commission, that means doing what is wrong. Commission, that, that means to have acted in a particular way. It means acting... Uh, in, in a way that's wrong, um, it, it's sinful. It, it, we understand this. In fact, you know, um, if you go around the neighborhood, and if I were to go and talk to some of the neighbors, and I said, hey, I'm a pastor, I just wanted to ask you some questions, and one of the questions I would ask is, hey, what is sin? Most people would say, well, it's doing wrong things. Things just like lying and cheating, stealing and murdering. Even in our world today, many people understand that those things are wrong and we shouldn't do them. They're sin. And when most people think of sin, they put it in this box of doing what is wrong. We often see this in our families with our kids when they're young. In fact, some kids are just terrible at lying or hiding things um, that, that when they've done something wrong. You, you go to them and you say, hey, um, did you take the candy? Or, hey, did you hit your sister? And they, they get this look on their face like they're trying to figure out what they, how they could answer this. They're trying to cover it up, but they can't hide. They've done something wrong. They've sinned, and we all know it. 
So sins of commission, that's doing what is wrong. But there's another category, and this is what James is talking about here today. These are sins of omission, and here is a definition for that. Not doing what is right. Omission is a word that means to omit, to not do something. So James here is not talking about sins of commission. Hey, uh, don't do wrong things. James is introducing us to something called sins of omission. Not doing what is right. In fact, that's what he says here in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and yet fails to do it for him, that is sin. Uh, to, to look at this passage, I, I want us to just very simply ask and answer three questions. And I hope that by doing this this morning, that, that we can kind of um, see this in a very practical way in our lives. Listen, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit might reveal some things to us today that might hound us down on some things because God wants us to experience the abundant life, the better life, life to the full. And so what is it that we are missing out on in that abundant life because we're not doing the things that we should be doing? That, that's the, the prayer today, and I want to ask and answer three questions in order to kind of help us think through this verse here. Well, the first question is just this. How do we know the right thing to do? James says, whoever knows the right thing to do, and we, we need to ask the question, well then, how do we know the right thing to do and what that is? James starts off here and he's assuming something. He's assuming that there is a right and there is a wrong. And the reason why I bring that up is that it's so important for us here in our culture, the culture in which we live in today. Right now we live in a very ambiguous, vague, subjective culture that acts like there is no such thing as right and wrong. I mean, our culture today, especially among the younger generations, say things like, well, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. But the verse that James uh, gives us here, the things that what James says here, is that he doesn't say, hey, whoever thinks that he knows the right thing to do and feels like doing that particular thing, then I guess he should go ahead and do it. No, instead, James says, there is a right way to do things. And if you don't do it that way, you're walking in sin. Know that that might sound like a little bit heavy handed in our culture today. But here is what we as Christians need to do. Not, not in a confrontational way, not in a mean-spirited kind of way, but in a, a manner of grace and mercy, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. More followers of Jesus Christ need to stand up to the subjectivity of our culture today and say, by the power and grace of the gospel, I believe that there is absolute truth, and I am going to try to live in light of that. Now, I'm not talking about your political views, and I'm not talking about your personal convictions. I am talking about standing on the truth of God's word in a way like Jesus did, a loving way. And I think that a lot of times what we need to do is we say that we're standing up for truth, but we're not doing it in a way that did it like Jesus did it. 
I'm talking about grace and mercy and love, but not sacrificing what is right. Jesus, or James rather, here says, whoever knows the right thing to do, not, not feels right, but what knows what, what you know to be right. And so how do you know the right thing to do? Well, I want to mention a couple of things here that I hope are helpful and informative to you today. First, God speaks to us through his word as we spend time with him. God speaks to us through his word as we spend time with him. Again, I I don't think that any of these things that we're talking about today are going to be theologically mind-blowing, but how how do you know what's right? Well, you, you get into God's word day in and day out, and you say, God, would you teach me? Teach me, speak to me through your word. It's about a relationship. If you've been uh, coming to St. Paul's for any length or period of time, you're you're going to know that our emphasis is not about going through a bunch of religious exercises. No, we, we are encouraging you to get into a relationship with Jesus Christ because that is how he designed you to live. And so daily, you go to the Lord and you say, God, I want to know what is right so that I can walk in it. Teach me what is right. And one of the ways that he does that is through his written word. That, that it's through the scriptures we see how to live the abundant life, the best life that God has for us. Now, when God gives us a command in his word, we don't have to wonder if we should do that or not. It's not like we need to, we read something in the, in the Bible about what God tells us to do and then we say, well, maybe I should just pray about this as to whether I should do this or not. No, if it's in God's word, then we don't need to pray about it. No, we just need to do it. Let me just give you uh, some examples of this. We've got a list that we're going to put up on the screen here of some things that the Bible tells us that we should do. Things like worship. You know, you don't need to pray about whether you should worship God or not. The Bible says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Come, let us gather together and worship. This is a command in the scriptures that we don't have to pray about. Not going to go through all of these, but spending time with God and having community in your life, being generous with what you have. These are all uh, things that you don't really have to pray about. I mean, God, uh, it's not like you go, God, um, would you show me whether I should really um, have people in my life who could sharpen me? Or God, would you show me whether I should honor my marriage or not? Listen, God has made these things very clear to us in his word. And we don't have to wonder what his desire for us is. And look, this is just a small sampling of things. But as we read the word of God, he shows us what his desire for us is and how we can experience the abundant life that he has planned for us. And what James is saying is, if you know those things that are right to do and you don't do them, that is sin. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to come up with reasons why you don't why this doesn't apply to you. No, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. So God speaks to us through his word, but there's a second thing. God speaks to us through his spirit as we walk with him. 
God speaks to us through his spirit as we walk with him. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, did you know that when you placed your faith in him, he placed his Holy Spirit inside of you? It's an amazing truth, right? God, the third person of the Trinity, is living inside of you. That means that everywhere you go, you have God inside of you. You know, a a lot of people will say, man, if I had Jesus walking around with me, life would be so much easier. Like, I'm kind of jealous of the disciples. They had Jesus walking beside them for like three years. But friends, listen. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is living inside of you. And Jesus inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. What does that mean? Well, as we get into God's Word daily, asking Him to show us what's right, uh, show us how we ought to live. and, And He tells us how we should be generous, and he tells us how to be a good neighbor. He tells us how to love our enemies. And and then we get into our car, and we go to work, or we go to the store, we go to school, and we take God with us wherever we go. And we're constantly asking, God, show me how to live out your truth in my life, how to speak, how to act, how to engage with the people around me. And the Holy Spirit prompts us in those moments. James says... If you know the right thing to do and yet fail to do it, that is sin. Listen, uh, here's a very, very important principle that I want to just kind of relate to you uh, in in this uh, manner. Uh, We're going to put this on the screen here, but God will never speak to you in contradiction to his word. I hear people all the time say things like, well... I know that the Bible says this, but, friends, listen, God will never speak to you in contradiction to his word. God is not a God of confusion. God speaks through his word. He speaks through his Holy Spirit in order to confirm his word in our lives, which is how we know the right thing to do. Here's the second question. If if we know the right thing to do, why do we not do What we know is right. Why do we not do what we know is right? The reality is, is that sometimes this is just a part of human nature, right? And just kind of set the spiritual aspects of this aside for a moment. Sometimes we know that there are certain things that we should do, but we just don't do them. And we, we, we know that we should eat more vegetables, but burgers and fries just taste better. Listen, I know that I should save more money, but those shoes really look nice, or that dress looks nice, or that video game, or whatever it might be. I I know I should read more books, but YouTube videos are much easier. I I know I should get more sleep. I know I should clean my house. I know I should do the laundry. I know I should exercise more. There are things that we know that, that we should do, but we just don't do them. So... Why do we not do what we know is clearly right when it comes to what God says to us? Well, in an effort to try to be as helpful and practical as I can here, I've come up with four reasons that I just want to talk about here a little bit today. The first one is this. We don't do what is right because we think that we have more time. We think that we have more time. 
James talked about this in the verses that we looked at last week, and I want to just remind you quickly of them. Here's what he said in verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Here's the reality. Some of us put off doing the good and godly and abundant life things that we know we're supposed to do because we think, well, it's just not convenient for me right now. Maybe I'll get around to it later. And we think that we have a lot more time to do it later, but here's what James says. Your life is a mist. There is no idea that you have about what tomorrow will bring. And listen, the older I get, the more I see that that's true. The little babies that my wife and I had just the other day aren't little babies anymore. My youngest daughter is 10 years old, double digits. And the other day, she was babysitting some kids at our house. My baby was babysitting. Where is the time all gone? Friends, life is a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. We cannot say, well, I'll just try to obey later because we put it off, we put it off, we put it off, and then it's too late and we never obey God. Sometimes I talk to students and they say, well, you know what? When I get older, when I get more established in my life, then I'll obey God. Or people say, listen, when I get settled down and when I get married, uh, get a little bit more stability in my life, then I'll take things to God. I'll take the things of God more seriously. The problem is, is that there's always an excuse. There's always something going on. There's always another experience. There's always another season. If things aren't so crazy busy for me, you know what? Then I'll get around to doing what, what God wants me to do. But... There's always something else that comes along and stops us from obeying God. So often we don't realize just how short life is. But the second reason why we don't do what we know is right is because we don't see the immediate benefit of it. We don't see the immediate benefit of it. We're living in a very on-demand generation. And to be honest, I kind of like it. I mean, in fact, you could just kind of scroll through all of these different streaming services and and you can find whatever you want to and just kind of click the button. I I love just how when I need something, I can go online, I can go to Amazon, I can buy it, and um, it'll come in like 24 to 48 hours, just show up right on my doorstep. I love the on-demand society that we live in. I love the thing that things are available in just an instant. But we have to be careful not to let the, that seep into the way that we view our relationship with God. Because we expect God to be like YouTube. We expect God to be like Amazon. We, we say, come on, man, I prayed about that yesterday. Why aren't you doing anything about it? I, I tried this whole obedience thing. But it didn't really work. We think that obedience just means instant outcome. But the journey with Jesus is never about pace. It is about the process. Obedience to God may not produce instant fruit, but the process can change you. What what does that mean? 
I think about Psalm chapter 37 and verses 3 and 4, and it kind of gives us a good framework, I think, on this. Listen to what it says and notice that it doesn't move this at this fast pace. These verses don't. It says this, Psalm 37, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell. I mean, there's a word that's not about instant gratification, right? Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of of your heart. Sometimes you're, you're not going to see the immediate outcome in your life. Sometimes you're, you're going to obey God and you're, you're not going to see the floodgates of heaven just open up and all of these blessings raining down on you. And what God is saying in that moment is just continue to trust me. Dwell in this land. Pursue faithfulness. Delight yourself in me and I'm going to take care of you. There's a song that we sing around here from time to time called Waymaker. And what I just love about the song is that there is this line that says, Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. We may not see the immediate results of something, but we need to keep on trusting, keep on obeying. Here's another reason why we don't do what we know is right. It's because we're just not willing to do it. I've done this before. You've probably done this as well. God, I know that you're leading me into this, but I just don't want to do it. God, that's just not going to work for me right now. We say things like, God, I don't want to really be kind to my neighbor. You know what kind of a jerk they've been to me. I I mean, what they really need is some tough love here. What they really need is a good, strong dose of reality. God, my budget is tight. Things are expensive. Kids are always needing something else. You know I can't afford being generous to that person. Why doesn't somebody else just be generous to them? Maybe I could help them out some other time. Maybe when the economy gets better, maybe when I get some more money, then I can help people out. Oh God, look, um, I, I, I don't have time to lead my family in family worship. Everyone's just so busy. We're all running in different directions. I, I, I've, I've got to work, and when I get home, I'm really tired, and no one else really wants to do this thing anyway, and really, I'm not very equipped for this. I don't know. I, I can't do this. Listen, so many times we know the right thing to do, and yet we are just unwilling to do it. God calls that sin. Here's the last reason why we don't do what we know is right. And this just kind of sums it all up. We, we think that we know better than God. We think that we know better than God. Now, I've never met anyone who said, um, you know what, I I don't do these particular things because I just know better than God. But when when God leads you to do something, whether it be through his word or through his spirit, and you don't do it, what you're really saying in that moment is, God, I know that you're the creator and the sustainer of all things. The, The fact that I have breath in my lungs and I'm able to communicate right now with you is an absolute miracle. The fact that my body can move is an evidence of your grace and your mercy. But thanks for all of these things, 
but no thanks. I'm just going to do my own thing here. And if we're not careful, this is kind of the arrogant posture that you and I can begin to walk in. What we're really saying is, I know that you know how life works best because you're the creator, but I'm good with doing things my own way. Friends, what we need to do is to surrender to God and to say, I don't know what's best for my life. I don't know how to live the abundant life on my own. And so I yield my life into your hands and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you at every turn. There's a familiar story in Jesus' life about a guy called the rich young ruler. Why is he called that? Well, because he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. The story's found in Mark chapter 10. But this guy comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, show me how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to the guy, Okay, you know the commandments, right? Don't murder, don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie. Guy says, yeah, 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 I know all of those things. And I've done all of those things. From the very time I was a little boy, I've stayed away from all of those bad things. I'm, I'm doing great. I, I, I don't do anything, any of those sins, those sins of commission. And I just love what Jesus says, what it says here, that, that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. You see... What we're talking about today is not because Jesus is mad at you, not because he's angry at you. He wants to be a dictator over your life. Just like the rich young ruler, he wants to lead you into that abundant life because he loves you. Jesus said to the guy, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Bible says that this guy takes a step back, that he turns around and he walks away sad because he had great wealth. Friends, God was putting a spotlight on this guy's life. I mean, it's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to have wealth. But for whatever reason, God in his sovereignty tells this guy, I want you to go and give it all away. And I want you to come and find treasure in heaven. God put a spotlight on this guy's life, and he ended up walking away sad. Here's what I pray for us as a church. I pray that none of us would see that clear, right thing to do and then turn around and walk away sad today because it's just too much. I mean, I know the right thing to do, but there's no way that I'm ever going to do that. Maybe it's something as big as what Jesus had asked the rich young ruler to do. Maybe it's something much smaller, but you know, because of the word of God, because of the spirit of God in you, this is what God wants me to do. That man in Mark chapter 10 did not trust God. But the invitation to each and every one of us today is to trust God, to trust and obey. The last question that I want to talk briefly about is simply this. How should we respond? How should we respond? We need to know what, what it is that God wants us to do. Maybe for you throughout this message, there, there's been this thing that has been on your heart. 
Maybe you've been uh, thinking, I, I can't wait for this sermon to be over so I can stop thinking about this thing. And, and maybe that's the spotlight that God has put on your life right now in this moment. If that's you, let me just encourage you to walk joyfully in the thing that you know God is calling you to do. Maybe you're here and you say, listen, um, I, I'm not really aware of anything in this moment that I'm not doing that I need to be doing. Well, keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep reading his word. Keep drawing near to him. And as he shows you the right thing to do, wait. Don't put it off. Don't, uh, don't say, well, I, I, maybe some other day. No, rather step out in faith and trust in him. What area of obedience is God putting on your heart today? Either in his word or in, uh, the, as the spirit is kind of nudging you. Maybe it has to do with your marriage. Maybe it has to do with singleness or your family or your church, your work or your neighbors or your friends. What step is God himself putting on your heart to take? Here's what you need to, how you need to respond. You say, God, I'm going to do it. Whatever it is, I'm just going to step out. And I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me. You, you, you don't want to be like the rich young ruler who walked away from God and was sad. Good deeds undone. Steps of obedience untaken. Promptings of the Holy Spirit unresponded to. Whatever it is, if you're a Jesus follower... I want to encourage you to respond, to do what God is asking you to do. What he's telling you is the right thing to do. You go and you do it right away. Let's pray.